You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us in our worship this morning. I am glad that you are wanting to watch this, and hopefully our worship service can encourage you, build you up uh, during these crazy times. We are starting a new series this morning entitled Faithful, Wise, and Out of Place. And we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we see stories of young Jews who had been exiled had been taken over to a completely different country, and so they were very much out of place. But in the midst of being out of place, in the midst of being foreigners, living in a foreign land, to being aliens, strangers, pilgrims, as the Bible often calls them, they were still wise and they were still faithful. And as a matter of fact, because they were faithful and because they were wise, that actually made them more out of place. They were living in a culture with different languages and different uh, customs and small things that didn't matter. But because they chose to draw the line on the things that did matter, they became a peculiar people. They looked peculiar to the people around them because the people around them, well, This world has always lived with falsehood and with faithlessness and with foolishness instead of faithfulness and wisdom. And so by Daniel and his friends being an example of what faithfulness and and being wise looks like, they very much were out of place because they were living in a world, in a broken world, characterized by foolishness. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus tells us to enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. If we live in a world that is characterized by the wide way, the highway that leads to its own destruction. And for us to not go in that direction, we're swimming upstream. We are inherently out of place. If the entire world is bent on destroying itself, but we say, no, we won't follow that path. We'll follow the way of God. We'll follow the way of Christ. Then we're going to be out of place. Our faithfulness and our wisdom will put us out of place as we follow the example of God and of the faithful people who have gone on before us. And of course, especially Jesus, who tells us to take that narrow way, who tells us to take that narrow path. And what we find in the book of Daniel are examples of young men who went upstream. And we can learn things by looking at them, both, I think, how, what to do, how to be convicted and to hold on to our convictions, but at the same time, some things not to do. 
uh, some things that we don't see them overreacting, for instance, and we'll get more into that. But Daniel and his friends very much are a picture of what it means to live in exile. You see, their homeland, Jerusalem, Israel had been conquered. And when the the nation of Babylon came in, when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered, whenever he hauled off people from Israel, he hauled off the best. See, one strategy that the Empire of Babylon employed is that when they conquered a nation, they found the leaders. They found those with potential. Those from the royal household, those already with influence in their communities and they rounded them up and they took them to Babylon. That way they couldn't stay there and lead uprisings or revolts. And they took them to Babylon instead to serve in the king's court. And so they rounded up healthy, young, strong, wise, able-bodied, intelligent, natural leaders in Jerusalem and carried them off to Babylon. And Daniel and three of his friends were selected. And Daniel outshines them a little bit. Now, the other other friends that we know of as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got an important role, no doubt. But the book is obviously titled after Daniel. And Daniel is this picture of what wisdom looks like, especially wisdom that's living in a foolish world. Wisdom that's being taken out and planted somewhere else and he's not going to have to live as a foreigner, as an exile, as an alien, as an immigrant. But he holds on to his wisdom all the same. And the first thing that happens to Daniel and his friends is they got a name change. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 6. As it turned out, among these young men, young men gathered up from Israel, were some from Judah. Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the overseer of the court officials renamed them. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, Hananiah the name Shadrach, Mishael he named Meshach, and Azariah he named Abednego. And they're not the first ones to get new names in the Bible. Abraham famously started out as Abram. But God renamed him. Because while Abram means father, Abraham means father of many people. And so God gave him a new name that was meant to show and to give a new identity that, Abraham, I'm going to make something big out of you. And here's this name to step into this new role that I'm giving you. Jacob became Israel. So Jacob was met God face to face, wrestled with God, and God gave him the name Israel, which means wrestled with God, and that became a pretty apt descriptor for the entire nation that would, of course, come from Jacob. His 12 sons who had become the 12 tribes. Israel spent a lot of time wrestling with God. It was their identity that in some ways God imparted and in some ways God recognized, but God did. God told Jacob, Jacob, I'm going to give you a new name because you're not just the son of your parents. You're mine. You belong to me. 
But here, Daniel and his three friends receive new names because Babylon wants to give them a new identity. You're not at home anymore. You're not in Jerusalem anymore. You're not in Judah anymore. You're now in Babylon. Become Babylonians. And we'll give you new names to show that, to impose that. And it's important to realize that Daniel and his three friends did not object. Daniel is most often referred to as Daniel in the book. Occasionally he's referred to as Belteshazzar, but the other three, from this point on, they're just referred to as their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they didn't protest and said, no, you can't do this. I mean, they kind of had the idea of call us whatever you want to call us. We don't care. But we don't get our identity from you, as we'll see as the chapter unfolds. You may want to give us a new identity, but for Daniel and his three friends, their identity was in God. They didn't make a fuss about it. They didn't fight about it. Again, lessons we can learn about what not to do. They got a new name, but not a new identity. And we see his commitment to his identity given by God being reinforced in chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies of the royal wine. See, the, those that were being trained to serve in the court of the king were given the king's delicacies. And those would amount to the things in Babylon that they thought were good to eat. The king's table was the best of the wine. The king's table was the best of the food. And I imagine the Babylon, the Babylonians enjoyed a good barbecue as much as the rest of us and a good pulled pork sandwich. But of course, as Jews, Daniel and his three friends were not supposed to eat that. And so the king's table food, Daniel says, ah, sorry, just can't do it. He therefore asked the overseer of the court officials for permission not to defile himself. Then God made the overseer of the court officials sympathetic to Daniel, but he responded to Daniel, I fear my master, the king. He is the one who has decided your food and drink. What would happen if he saw that you looked malnourished in comparison to the other young men of your age? If that happened, you would endanger my life with the king. The guy over him, the guy training them up for their service to the king says, Daniel, I don't like you. God had a hand in that. And he said, Daniel, I, I would do it, but you got to realize, man, if, if you don't eat the good food from the king and he notices that these four Jewish guys over here are looking a little bit shabby, they're not looking as strong or as handsome or as well-fed as everybody else, he'll say, what's up? And then I'd have to explain. And the king's not going to like that explanation that his food wasn't good enough for you. And it'll be my head on the chopping block, not just yours. And that would seem, oh, well, that's too bad. I guess Daniel's just going to give up. Or Daniel's going to fight hard and scream and shout and draw the line in the sand for battle. And he doesn't do either of those things. He just patiently continues the course of being wise and faithful. Daniel then spoke to the warden whom the overseer of the court officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
So he doesn't go up the chain of command, he actually goes down to the guy serving them their food and brings it up with him. And this time Daniel puts it out as a test. He says, let's just see what happens. Let's have an experiment. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days by providing us with some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who are eating the royal delicacies. Then deal with us in light of what you see. So the warden agreed to their proposal and tested them for 10 days. As the story develops, we see new expectations, but not new standards. Daniel knew what the expectations were, and he knew that it wouldn't necessarily go very well if he didn't live up to those expectations. But he was also confident in his faith. And here's an interesting thing about this story in the book of Daniel is, while Daniel did not want to test the Lord his God, to put his Lord his God to the test, and there are many examples in the Old Testament of those who did just that, and God did become angry. And so Daniel's not wanting to test God, but at the same time, he's comfortable in the knowledge that God's truth can stand when examined. He doesn't need to speak louder or protest more strongly. He can just say, well, you know what? Let's look at the facts. Let's just experiment. Let's try it out and see. Daniel believes full well that God's ways are better. And so the warden says, oh, 10 days, sure. My head won't be on the chopping block for that. And so they try it out. And lo and behold, at the end of the 10 days, their appearance was better than those and their bodies were healthier than all the young men who had been eating the royal delicacies. Now, some would see this and advocate for a vegetarian diet. Um, understand that from a Jewish perspective, this was a miracle. From an ancient world perspective, this was a miracle. That wine was something that they very much viewed as needed and important to your diet. They didn't have the same nutritional understanding we do, obviously, but uh, the wine and good food, meat, protein, those are things that rich people ate. And rich people grew well, fatter, but actually in the ancient world, being fat was a sign of being healthy. And not that Daniel necessarily got fat, but his appearance was better. And I'm not going to say that there's nothing to do with a vegetarian diet or anything, but that's not the Bible's focus here. The Bible's focus is that Daniel trusted that God's ways were better. He knew that he was not to eat the things that would defile him. He knew that he was not to eat the things that God had told the Jews not to eat. What's better? Babylonian ways? Or God's ways. And of course, God's ways. And we don't have to shout and scream and protest whenever we don't get our way. Sometimes I think, following Daniel's example of wisdom here, we can just say, you know what? Let's wait and see. Let's see what the outcome is. We believe following God is better. I don't have to prove it by shouting winning the shouting match. 
I can just let it prove itself. If it's truth, I don't need to defend it. If following God's ways is better, then it will prove itself to be better. And this is just the first story in the book of Daniel. This is just the first instance where Daniel's wisdom, his wisdom that relies on the wisdom of God, wins out and succeeds. We're going to see this several times, this theme repeating. And in most of them, Daniel doesn't fight. Daniel doesn't argue. He just calmly stays his course. And in this instance, about the food you eat, the food you don't eat, I'm sure that for most Babylonians, they thought, man, those Jews are peculiar. The court official and the warden who were over the men and over Daniel and his three friends thought, why are they worried about this? I mean, I like you guys and all, you're pretty good guys, but don't be worried about this stuff. And they thought them strange. And so sometimes I think the world sees us non-Christians, see Christians, and think, man, they're peculiar. And it's not necessarily the biggest issue in the world. The issues are going to get bigger in the book of Daniel. More is going to be at stake later on. Because it's not just going to be about eating food. It's going to be about who you worship, who you honor, who you serve. And food's related to that, but those very fundamentals are attacked later on. So now it would seem like just a small peculiarity. And again, I think we have some of those. Not least of which is church. The fact that you are spending your Sunday tuning in to watch a preacher preach a sermon. Not the most amazing entertainment that there's ever been. Other people would choose rather to watch a movie, to listen to music, to browse Facebook, play video games. You know, there are more fun ways to enjoy your time than just a sermon and a worship service. But we found value in it. We know there's value in it, and we want to be faithful to the calling to engage with both the family of God and then, of course, in our worship to come into God's presence himself as his worshipers. And so the rest of the world can put up with that. You don't want to wake up and go to church on a Sunday morning while I'm sleeping in or whatever floats your boat. It's a peculiarity, but for us, it's so much more. For us, it's a matter of faithfulness and in many ways, a matter of wisdom, choosing what is right and not following the path of foolishness that eventually becomes the path of destruction. Another example is what we were talking about the past several weeks with holiness, and especially last week when we got into sexual purity. A lot of the world would say, what's the big deal? Sex. And following the teachings of God and of Scripture, we say, it is a big deal. And God desires one man and one woman for life to have a monogamous relationship, to not sleep around, to not just get all the pleasure you can get. And again, the world would say, yeah, I guess so. Go do, you do you, as the phrase goes. And we look peculiar. 
But again, it's not just a peculiarity. It's a conviction. Another example would be honesty in finances. I don't cheat. And I, and I, and I don't take it upon myself to just kind of meet the minimum of, well, if a big corporation or somebody else loses a few bucks, but I find those few bucks and it's not hurt anybody, you know, most people don't want to consider themselves cheats, but given an opportunity, a buck here, a buck there, a lot of people will just say, eh, what's the harm? Not us. Uh, we, I don't know if we'll walk a mile to return a penny like Abraham Lincoln necessarily, but I would say we pursue honesty. And we draw a line and say, no, we're going to be honest, even if it means it's harder for us. And... People would scratch their heads and go, why would you do that? You're not getting anything out of it. We're being wise and we're being faithful to our calling. And the last one that might look like a peculiarity, especially in our crazy times where things are just getting crazier. I mean, we are, we are exiles living in a foreign country. And I see no better example of that than in our modern political arena. Now, the debate was this past week, and if you can call it a debate, many people are bemoaning that it was such a circus. I'm going to try hard not to get too political in these sermons, but I think they have a political application in that we don't fight politics on politics rules. You see, in the debate... Again, uh, not that there was much debating going on, but there were a lot of insults. There was a lot of disrespect. There was a lot of a lack of honoring the other candidate. And both did this. And, and you know, I, I saw different newscasters talking about, well, this one started it. No, that one started it. But here's the thing. With Christians, as Christians, if we're in an argument, and maybe a political argument, maybe a passionate political argument, that's okay. And the other person starts to sling mud or to detract or to belittle. Um, we might be tempted to Fight fire with fire. Or, I guess the instance of the debate, uh, I don't think it was so much fire as just a um, food fight of just crazy things flying everywhere, no, no control, no process at all. But if somebody throws something at us, you know what we do? You know what Jesus said? Turn the other cheek. You don't stoop to the level of your detractors. We have to remember that in this political climate. And I know that there are some in church who are more politically motivated or politically active than others. And okay, that's fine. And, and very much I think we need to attempt to be good citizens in the world in which we live. We're going to see Daniel be a good example later on and keep going. That's partly why, again, I chose this book. Daniel's such a great example on so many levels. 
But his peculiarity, one thing I would hope we would take is we can be peculiar. When the rest of the world is shouting and angry and fired up and wanting to tear down and to make their detractors and their opponents or the people on the other side of the aisle and all they, all they want to do is try to make them look stupid. Not us. You know what we, what we do? We pray for those that are different from us. We pray for even our enemies. And we want what's best for them. And we would even seek to lift them up, to honor them, to share with them wisdom. Again, we're not going to compromise our wisdom. We're not going to compromise our faithfulness. But we don't have to belittle them to do it. We don't have to get in shouting matches. We can just continue on the course like Daniel. Such a powerful example. And one I think we need reminding of. Let's close with a verse out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, some translations say strangers and aliens, I urge you to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against your soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians. And here's the goal. Here's what will happen. Here's the result. So that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, though they look at you and go, man, you're strange, and even say, man, you're off your rocker. Man, you're wrong. You're stupid. You're an idiot. And get back to that name calling. Yeah, they might do some of that. It's okay. They can call us whatever, like as Daniel and his three friends, they can call us whatever they want to call us. It doesn't change who we are. We follow God. And what's going to happen eventually, that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Your good deeds will speak for themselves. When they shout at you, you don't have to shout back. Just keep doing their good. And in that, they'll say, man, they're strange, but ooh. Maybe strange is good. Maybe the way this world is going down that broad way that leads to destruction isn't so great. And they'll see our good deeds. And not say, ooh, they're so amazing, but something even better. They'll say, hmm, the God they serve, the Lord they follow, I want to glorify Him too. Because that life that way of being is what I've been looking for. I hope that that's our prayer, that people will see our good deeds, not hear our screaming voices, but they'll see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. And that's what we've been called to do. And let's follow the example of Daniel and just stay the course and do it. <laughs>